we are on the second week of our series on emotionally healthy spirituality. And I'm especially glad to be talking today with you uh, because I'm spearheading this campaign for the whole church to go through this course. So hang in there at the end of service, I'll talk a little bit about um, how you can get involved. But with the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, we learn, and Greg brought that to our attention last week, that we cannot be emotion or spiritually healthy while we're remaining emotionally unhealthy. That is just the core of what we're gonna learn um, in this course. Um, so we're going to, particularly today, we're going to talk about how in emotionally healthy spirituality that there are two components that we're going to look at. Contemplative spirituality and emotional health. Contemplative spirituality and emotional health. Today we're going to focus on what does contemplative spirituality look like. Um, and particularly, we're going to look at the story of two sisters and what happened and what each of them did when Jesus came to visit them so that we can learn what it looks like. Okay. So um, we're going to focus especially on one of the signs of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, which is that Doing for God instead of being with God. That's one of the signs that you know that you are spiritually unhealthy, is if you're doing more for God than you are being with God. And what does that really look like? Um, I, I think that last week when Greg gave us those 10 lists, and if you don't remember what they are, we've posted on Facebook, and you can probably look back at the other bulletin notes as well, where he, he uh, listed those 10 things. Now, this particular one, doing for God instead of being with God, was not one of the 10, but a couple of them are captured in this. And in the book that we're going to be reading for the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, Scazzaro, who is the author and creator of this course, actually names this as one of the signs of an unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So we're going to take some time to look at this story. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it with me or on your apps. We're going to be looking at Luke 10, verse 33 through 42. Luke 10, 33 through 42. It's a really familiar story to many of you. Probably already heard around, uh, about Martha and Mary. Some of you might have even been told to stop being a Martha, right? But let's look at what, how they responded when Jesus came to visit them. So reading together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She 
to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your Holy Spirit brings the word of life to us so that we can hear your voice and that the Spirit can interpret for us that our souls can be nourished and we can learn and we can grow. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would translate and interpret for each one of us and that you would allow God's word to grow and to be applied to our lives. Be with me, Lord. Use my mouth to speak your words that your people might meet with Pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So what often happens with a familiar story, the one that we've heard over and over, is that we lose, we often lose the humanity of what's taking place. And then oftentimes we, we have our own ideas about what the story is. So so I want us to kind of sit back and look at Mary and Martha and learn from them how we, each of them is represented in us. Because I think we often um, contrast the two and we're like, are you a Martha or are you a Mary? And I would say during the day, at which points are you like acting like Martha? And at which points are you acting more? So I want you to be able to get in touch with the fact that we live out both of the things that the two of them are doing. But as we look at doing for God instead of being with God, this story certainly captures what it might look like. So um, I was really taken aback when I was studying this passage here because Jesus said, <clears throat> Mary has chosen what is better. She has chosen. Now, I always thought that, again, all the sermons I've heard about Martha and Mary, that they were just wired that way, that Martha was a doer and Mary was a beer, uh, that Martha was a busybody and Mary was somebody who liked to sit back and just contemplate. Jesus, who knows them better than you and I do, Jesus actually said, Mary chose a very active thing. Jesus didn't tell them what to do. He didn't come into their home and say, hey, you need to sit at my feet and listen to me. He just came in, and then Mary and Martha each chose how they would interact with Jesus while he was a guest in their so what was it that each of them chose? 
Um, Martha chose to serve Jesus by being hospitable. Maybe she was a good cook, a good homemaker, and she said, I am going to serve Jesus and his disciples who were at home with him. Um, and so she chose to serve him. What happened was that, what we learned was that she became distracted by the choices that she made. Distracted about when to put the bread in the oven, and what else to serve with the bread, and does everybody have enough to eat, right? Because that's the worst thing is to not be able to feed everybody who comes to your table. Um, and then she also chose to worry about those things. She wasn't just distracted, now she was worried about it. And in fact, Jesus said she became upset about the distractions and the memories. She was so upset that I think she even got upset with Jesus. She said, don't you care? Like, why are you letting my sister just sit there? Why aren't you telling her to come and help me? So she got upset at the work. She got upset at her sister. Now she got upset with Jesus because those things that she thought were important were taking her away from actually enjoying Jesus' presence. Her doing for Jesus got in the way of her really enjoying him. And again, Jesus said, she chose these things. She may not have even realized it, but she chose these things. Her sister, on the other hand, her sister was sitting at Jesus' feet. And now, for those of us who are like, yeah, I don't really like to work, so sitting at Jesus' feet and doing nothing is a great thing. Um, but for Mary, why did she choose that? We could tell that she was not distracted by all the stuff that Martha was doing because she was sitting and intently listening to what Jesus was saying. So she was comfortable letting go of the work that needed to be done. And as every good mom girl knows, there's places in the kitchen helping with the preparation. And that was the same way for good Jewish girls. But she did not buy into that. She said, how often do you get Jesus in your home? So she just put those distractions aside and focused on what Jesus was doing there with her. Um, and she, because she was able to block out those distractions, she could listen to all the words that Jesus was saying. Uh, in Jewish times, to sit at somebody's feet meant that you were their disciple. That was the position of a disciple, someone who was being taught by a teacher or a rabbi. So Mary was taking the form of a learner. She was waiting for Jesus to give knowledge to her. She wasn't there to serve him. So, 
doing for God or doing for Jesus contrasted with being for God. Doing for God versus being with God. Now, it's not the case that you can only do one or the other. It's not like you could either just do for God and not be with him, or be with God and not do for him. That's not true at all. However, what we're talking about today is that in our hurry and hustle and uh, our world where you are what you do, that we often let our doing for God get in the way of our being with God. And for most of us, it is easier to do than to sit silently at Jesus' feet and to be with him. And then, because we live in a society that says you are what you do, and we often get confused and we actually prioritize doing over being. If you notice in the story of Mary and Martha, it was actually Martha's idea to invite Jesus to their home. She probably wanted to spend time with him. And she probably had the intention that I'm going to invite him in so that I would have some time with him. But it quickly turned into, he's here, but that means I have a lot more to do. And it quickly became a distraction for her so that she could not spend time with Jesus. So Peter Scazzaro, in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says this, Work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others, buying into the wrong ideas of success, and the mistaken belief that we can't fail. And Peter goes on to say that we become human doings rather than human beings. And he would say that if we get caught up in this, I have to do, 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 and then all of a sudden our work gets wrapped up in the doing, that he says our experiential sense of worth and validation gradually shifts from God's unconditional love. I'm doing this because God loves me and this is why I'm loving him back. But it shifts from God's unconditional love for us in Christ to our works and our performance. Now it's about me. I have to do this. And the joy of Christ gradually disappears. So the way to balance these two and to not let doing overtake in priority as well as in your self-worth Cicero says that doing for God in a way that is proportionate to our being with God is the only pathway to a pure heart and seeing God. So that means that, it's, again, it's not that we can't do for God and be with God. However, I want us to keep this in mind, that our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. 
me say that again, and we will see this a couple more times today. Our activity for God, or our doing, can only properly flow from a life with God. So what we do needs to flow from already being with God. It's important for us to know in the story, and I think oftentimes Mary gets captured in history, that this is all Mary does, and this is all Martha does. But what we learn in um, the New Testament is that Jesus had a relationship with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, and we see their relationship with him evolving. And we find out that Martha learns to prioritize being with Jesus. And in fact, um, I pray that this can be said of all of us, but in John 11, verse 5, the Apostle John writing about this, he was watching Jesus' relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this is what John wrote. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So in, in Martha's relationship with Jesus, she learned to be with him. She probably had the gift of uh, service. She would continue to serve him and open her house up to him. Now she would learn to do it out of her relationship with him. Some of us, though, especially those of us who are gifted in doing and serving others and serving God, some of us might question, like, well, how can it be so bad? Like, how could serving God and doing things for him, how can it actually be bad? Why would we need to be so careful about that? Um, so to answer that, I want us to look at something that Jesus himself taught. So if you can turn with me to Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, we're going to look at Something that Jesus said towards the end of his sermon that we've been that we come to call the Sermon on the Mount, because he was sitting on the mountainside and he was teaching the disciples and the crowds these days. So at the end of the sermon, when Jesus has been teaching them, by the way, you all are looking at external things. So he said, You have heard it said, you know, don't um, don't commit adultery. Tell you the truth if you even think, look at another person, if you think about lustful things in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching that it's what's in your heart, not just what you do. And so, here's, here's what he says about doing Matthew 7 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that day is of the judgment day, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So 
Jesus is saying that someone can seem like a Christian in their own eyes and in the eyes of the world, people watching. In fact, you know what's scary? These things that, uh, that people were like, wait a minute, what are you saying? I don't get into heaven, didn't you see me like casting out exorcisms and casting demons out? Like, shouldn't that be a sign that I should go to heaven? And didn't you see me do miracles? Like heal somebody who was uh, lame, right? And then they started walking. Like, that should be a sign that I'm a good Christian. And Jesus' words to them were really harsh. He didn't just say, sorry, your works aren't good enough. He actually said, you evildoers, away from me. Why? Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. You might have done all those things. In fact, notice how they said, we did this in your name. They said it three times, right? In your name I did this. In your name I did that. In your name I did this. And now you tell me that I can't go to heaven? And Jesus is basically saying, you might have used my name as though you represented me, as though you knew what I wanted, as though I had authorized you to do this. I never knew you. So notice how it doesn't say, you never knew me. Jesus said, I never knew you. Now this word knew in the, uh, uh, actually is the word gnosko, which means to know experientially. Like, like you might have a thousand Facebook friends and you know them and they know you, but do you really know them? Do you have friendship experientially with them where they understand who you are, they know how you think, they know your desires, they talk with you before they post something about you? And it's things that, so this is the knowing that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, we never had a relationship. All those things that you did that looked really good to other people, I didn't authorize it. You were not doing the will of my Father. You were doing it on your own. That should give us pause. What does it mean when I'm standing up here preaching? Am I doing this on my own authority? But I say it's in the name of God. When you serve in church, when you teach Sunday school, lead worship, preach before a pastor, any of those things that somebody else looking at you might think, wow, that is a super Christian. We're doing it in relationship to your love for God. Because it's so easy to substitute religious activity for a relationship with God. Our activity for God can only properly flow from a life with God. 
a life with God. Again, it is not that you can only choose one or the other, but you must choose one so that the other can flow. We must choose to be with God first, to have a relationship with him, so that the work that flows out of it can be approved by God, and that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done the will of the Father. So in order to do this, to have a relationship with God. We have to get to know him, and we have to be with him so that there is this knowing, this relationship that happens. So the solution, and part of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, is that we learn to develop, so you will learn to develop your own personal relationship with Jesus, and you don't just live off other people's spirituality. So I think the first part you get, right? You have to develop your own personal relationship with Jesus. The second part, don't just live off other people's spirituality. To live off somebody else's spirituality is to have everything you know about God be secondhand. You only know God through whatever you hear in a sermon or through a book that everybody recommends and you're reading it. That's a cool God. You can't live off of what somebody else has learned about God. You have actually known him for yourself. So those of you who are parents and have multiple kids, you probably know that each of your kids relates to you differently. Some of them prefer to stay emotionally distant from you. And some of them want to know everything that you're doing and they share everything they're doing with you. And which one of those do you think knows you better? It's usually the one who spends more time with you trying to understand who you are, the one who opens their heart up to you. You know them better, you understand them better. That trust between the two of you is strong and solid. And then when the other child wants something, they usually say to the one who's closer to you, you ask mom, right? Or you ask mom, because they know that there's a special relationship. Well, we all have the privilege to have that special relationship with God. And so we want to develop our personal relationship with him rather than depending on somebody else, okay? So how do we do that? In the EHS, or Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, um, we, we will have actually practices that we need to. And out of those practices, it comes from a couple verses that I want us to look at. In case you need an invitation to spend time with God, in case you need to be like Martha, can I invite Jesus into my here are some verses that I hope will invite you into that relationship. In James 4, verse 8, James, the author of the book of James, um, most theologians believe was actually the brother of Jesus. 
And James says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Oftentimes we feel emotionally far from God, like he's so far away. But James actually says, if you come near God, I grew up in the church when we read the King James. So it's draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It basically means you have to move. It has to be a movement. So draw, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Uh, in the Old Testament, when God was telling his people who he was about to send into exile for, for 70 years, he made them a promise. Most of you love Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, um, to prosper, to give you a future and a hope. Most of us stop there, but the next couple verses are so crucial. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14 tells us how God's plans are coming to our life. And God says this through the prophet Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. If you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Right? If you come near, if you want to know me, you will get to know me. That's God's promise. So, the reason why I'm excited about the EHS course for all of us is that Pete Spazzaro has designed um, a book called Day by Day where he invites us to, to step into the contemplative spirituality. And contemplative spirituality is practices that help us to slow down so that we can be particularly in EHS, there are two ways to do that, to slow down to be with God. The first is in this book, The Day by Day. We might call it a devotional. Um, Spazzaro would say it's more than just a devotional because it has to become a lifestyle uh, where we do a daily office. Okay, what is a daily office? A daily office is where you have Set times throughout the day where you have stillness, silence, and being with God. So these are set times. So um, in, in monastery life, the nuns and monks would actually stop whatever they're doing at particular hours of the day and stop, be silent, and meditate and commune with God whether they were out in the gardens, whether they were already in the chapel, whether they were tending the chicken, whatever they were doing, they would stop. Okay? And they would have set times. So for some of you, you might want to do three times a day, morning, noon, or midnight, or whatever. Uh, for those of us who can't get up in the morning, we might do noon or evening. But it's set times so that you get these rhythms in your life. Um, a second thing that the EHS introduces and helps us to put into practice is taking a Sabbath. A Sabbath. A Sabbath is a 
um, 24 hour period where you stop, you stop doing anything that is related to work. How many of you can go for that? Right? 24 hours where you're not thinking about work, you're not doing work, okay? And again, the whole idea is so that you can spend time and enjoy it. So you will be learning a lot more about these two things, the day of the office and taking the Sabbath. I want to quickly introduce you to, so that we learn a little bit about the um, daily office. And the daily office, the purpose of the daily office is to remember God and commune with him all through our days. Because sometimes when we do a devotional in the morning, a devotional is where you read the Bible and then you go on with your day. Part of the daily office is by noon, you might have forgotten about God already because you're so busy doing all your other things. But at noon, you're like, oh my goodness, my alarm went off. Time to stop, be still, and connect with God. And if you have those periodically throughout the day, it will keep you in contact with God. And so that what you do between 12 and 3, your next daily office, you will be thinking about God and infusing um, his presence into all of your life. So there are four components that, again, you will learn. Stopping so that you can center, which is move into God's presence and rest. There's silence that you practice. And then you do some scriptural reading. Um, in the interest of time, we're not going to do the next two slides. And we're going to move to... I'm going to invite Johan up to share how doing these daily offices helped him. Our ministry team and our life group leaders have been going through this course already. We're on week seven, six, seven. So, Johan, how has it been going for you today? Yeah, well, thank you, Paula, for giving me this opportunity to speak here. Yeah, the daily offices have been amazing for me. I'm, I'm, I work here at the church part-time, but I'm pretty much a full-time. Dad, I've watched my two daughters during the day, and I've watched um, my nieces and nephews during the day, too. And so I'm really busy the whole day. And, like, I'm so busy, I like to work standing up. Like, I like standing, like, a good standing up desk. I even like to eat standing up, right? Like, that's how, like, on the go I feel like I have to be. And these daily offices have been amazing because I have to sit and I have to stop, and I have to spend two minutes in silence before I begin. And that's, that's, that was a little difficult for me. Um, but the, the amazing thing is that I've been spending a lot of time with God. I mean, days go by where, like, some, some days go by where my wife and I only talk to each other for maybe like 15 minutes in the morning, maybe 30 minutes at night. Um, there have been days in my life where say some prayers to God throughout the day and that's it. But these daily offices have been amazing in building my relationship with God because I have to stop, spend 10 to 15 minutes with God in the morning, and then another 10 to 15 minutes with God uh, later in the day. And I know for some of you, you have to like start thinking, wow, yeah, I don't really spend that much time daily with God. And so these daily offices have been amazing for me because they have allowed me to spend more time with God. And because, you know, the more time you spend with somebody, the better the relationship 
the daily office is that unlike Martha, who was like, okay, I'm, I'm kneading the dough and I'm trying to listen to Jesus at the same time, right? But how many of you can multitask that well? I know, we, we like to think we can. More importantly, what do you think the other person is thinking while you're multitasking? It's okay, I can check my phone while I'm listening to you. How many of you would be happy with that kind of quality time that you're getting from your friend? So part of what the daily office does is it helps you to put those distractions aside, to not be worried about what you need to get done, and to actually still yourself, clear your thoughts, and be with God. Let Him be the one to meet with you and draw near to God and he draw near to you. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about the EHS course is that not only will you be learning more about how to be emotionally healthy, but we will also help you put into practice those exercises, those things that we need to do in order for our relationship with God to strengthen and so the EHS course, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is starting October 6th. Can you believe that's not even a month away? That's less than a month away. Um, it will be eight weeks in a row. Some of you may want to start on Sunday. Some of you may say, I can't do Sunday, but Tuesday night. So those will be the options. And we've got sign-ups in the back where it's already open. We have a website where you go to do all the sign-ups. Um, the cost is $30 in person. It covers the three books that you will be using during the eight weeks. Um, if finances are an issue, please let us know. We will figure out a way to make it All right, so remember this. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We want to help you grow. As we have said, part of this course is teaching you how to love God better, so to grow in your contemplative spirituality, and to love others better in learning how to be mature emotionally. So I look forward to seeing you all in those courses that are starting on October 6th. Let me close us in prayer, and I'm going to invite you to take deep breaths, be comfortable, and I'm going to give us 30 seconds of silence. Not the two minutes that I usually do in the daily office, but just 30 seconds of silence to let you be still and silent before the Lord and your Thank you that you want to know us. You want to have a relationship with us. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to stir in us a hunger for you, to stir in us a hunger to be in your presence. Lord, give us, give us a desire 
to know you and to know you by name and to have an intimate relationship with you. God bless each person here, Lord, and each person hearing my voice today. Lord, that they would hear your invitation to come near to you if you want to be near to them. Thank you. And I pray this in Jesus.